This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. Yeah. It's raining. They don't care. <laughs> These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash a check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Welcome back once again to the QB11 show presented by Scoop Deck. I am Doug Scott, and I'm joined as always by QB11. Andrew, good evening, sir. Good evening. How are we doing, Doug? We are doing well, doing well. It's uh, Wednesday evening here, getting ready for the game on Saturday night. It'll be the first game this uh, this year in Austin under the lights. Ducks revealed their uniforms today. They're going to be wearing the black and yellow combo, which usually pop pretty well at night under the lights. So I know some people don't like the late night games, um, but, you know, it's our first one this year. Probably, well, it will be the last one. Oregon State game will be at, I think, a 5 or 5.30 kickoff. So it'll be the only the only late night game this year. You only get seven home games, so you make it down. Uh, you cheer the the team on, and that game's always fun. So hopefully people will get over their initial whatever surprise disappointment or whatever about the late kick and you know what you only have the, to stay the up fans realize that one like, time the, the fans realize that five o'clock east coast primetime games kick off later than this right i don't know i i do think there's no, no, like, it's like, a like west that's a, coast that's a serious thing yeah it is it's it's the oh we're on the west coast we're victims except like they don't do the math to realize that like east coast teams that kick off at five are kicking off at eight o'clock local and, yeah, and that is prime I think time. it and goes back to, and that's and that's the time slot they want. And that's when those teams want to play. Yeah, that's the time yeah, slot they want, want because games. you get all day to tailgate, you get to watch all the other games, and then you get to be the nightcap. So, I mean, I don't yeah. know. I, again, if your argument is is that Oregon and USC will get less eyes because of it, I mean, sure, somewhat. Um, but if the argument is because it's inconvenient to you or you don't like to watch games at night, then you are literally arguing against the the general consensus of fans across the country yeah i think the complaint in on west coast fan base is is twofold i think one because of the rotation of the earth and the way the time zones work when there's a a a night game on the east coast everybody on the west coast still watches it because they're still awake because it's earlier but the other the, the converse is true right so it does impact your your how much people watch you and get to see your games but i think it more of it is historical right like back before you know tv time time slots ran ran everything and and a lot of games weren't televised at all or or weren't televised nationally right a, a lot of these people who watch all these schools on the west coast growing up grew up with their games always being on in the day right they're always like 
you know, 1230 kickoffs, 330 kickoffs, you know, 430 kickoffs. And that was kind of what everyone was accustomed to. And then the, the night games are more on the West Coast are a more recent thing uh, with a lot of fan bases. And so I think there's some there's some of that kind of back in my day kind of mentality going on. But whatever I look at it, I, I say the same thing. Look, I this will be my 36th straight home game without missing, um, at least out of the ones they've allowed fans to go to. So I look, I always say this, we get seven home games a year, six, some years like last year. Yeah. You know, it's, it's seven days out of 365, right? You can't adjust your schedule for seven days, one day. Like what, like, I I mean, if you're a fan and this is your thing and this is your team and you have season tickets, it's like, come on, I don't know. it's one night game out of 365 it's, days. It's like, what compared, are we talking about here? It's and not, it's USC. It, yeah. Like, this is the best game of the year. This is the most looked forward to home game we have on the schedule. Like, what are we complaining about here? Get your butt to the stadium and cheer your team on. And, you know, takes, you know, drink a Red Bull on the way home or something. Yeah. Well, so a couple things. The first thing, like, if you have kids and stuff, like, I understand it's makes it probably more difficult logistically for the game whether it's a sitter, all kinds of things, right? Like you you might need overnight help if you're leaving them at home. Um, but there's a lot of us that literally fly from out of state to go to games. And so like, it, I, I'm sorry, if you live in Portland and you have to drive back late at night, it's, get over it. I don't, I don't have a lot of patience for those types of arguments. And don't go to the game if it's that big of a deal to you. It's just lame when people complain about it. It's like... We, we get six opportunities to celebrate an awesome football team. And this one's in particular is one that's really worth celebrating. Um, and there's, it's just stupid. Yeah, it, it really is. I, I just, I, I just don't like the complaining in general, right? If it doesn't fit your life for whatever reason, you know, then fine, don't go, but don't be on the, don't be out there on Twitter or message boards or whatever saying what a great fan you are and complaining that you get one late kickoff in an entire season. Like, yeah, shut up, shut up. Go to the game or shut up and sell your ticket or whatever. It just it's ridiculous. It, it it just makes us look weak as a fan base. It's a it's a lame excuse um, to complain about something that's not worthy of complaint. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be an awesome environment. The fans are gonna be there. They're gonna be great. They're gonna be loud. The students are gonna be loud. And I know it's going to be a great game. There's a lot of recruits that are going to be in town. A lot of commits that are going to be in town. USC is a is a you know I mean obviously they're they're seven and three this year. They fell out of the rankings this week, but they're they're first of all an entertaining team to watch with Caleb Williams, and we're getting into that. But they're also, I mean, they're USC. This is USC, right? Like if you can't get up for this game, like I don't know what I don't know what the problem is. So enough of that. Let's yeah. talk about the game. So USC comes to town. Like I said, they're seven three. They are um, five and two in conference play. Is that right? Yeah, five and two in conference play. The interesting thing here, QB, is they actually still mostly control their their fate in getting back, getting to Vegas for the Pac twelve title game, and and potentially winning the Pac twelve conference. And obviously, they're not going to go to the playoffs, but they can go to a New York Six Bowl and and uh, and kind of finish their season on a high note. So they have a lot to play for Like the idea that they're going to quit on their season, that there's nothing left for them to play for. It's, it's just not true. Uh, I mean, if they win this game and then they go home next week and beat UCLA, they're almost certainly going to be in Vegas playing for the Pac-12 title game. So 
like Oregon can't Oregon fans and Oregon, you know, I don't, I don't worry about the team, but I mean, Oregon fans can't just say, Oh, USC is going to quit. Caleb's going to shut it down. Like there's a lot for that team to play for. And I expect they're going to come to town, you know, fresh off of firing their defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch, and then come to town with uh, a chip on their shoulder and a plan to, to try to win. Yeah. I mean, this is a team that if things go south quickly, like early in the game, like if Oregon jumps out all, all over them, I think would have the propensity to possibly quit. Um, but if this is a competitive game throughout, it's not like USC is just not going to show up. It's not like their coaches gave up on the season um, just because Alex Grinch got fired. I think that um, they have everything to pull, not everything to play for. They can't make the playoff. Uh, but from a conference standpoint, I think it does matter to them, especially on the recruiting trail. Uh, I really think that's what this game is more about. Like this is playing for keeps. This is about um, recruiting bragging rights more than anything else, because really these are the only two teams on the West coast that are competing for the top prospects out West. Everybody else is um, from from back East or the South um, recruiting these top, top line prospects from California and Utah and Arizona. Uh, So I think that's ultimately what this is more about for both these coaching staffs and teams. And I think that's what is really important um, kind of subtext to this game is that whoever wins this game is going to have a lot of ammunition on the recruiting trail as well. Yeah, it certainly as both teams move forward into the big 10 next year and look to reload and, and, you know, there's been some pretty, been a lot of recruiting battles over these two teams, you know, since since Dan Lanning and Lincoln hire, Lincoln Riley both got hired to, you know, and they're in their second season each now. I think Oregon's won more of those battles, at least among the elite players, than they've lost. But USC certainly has has won their share of them as well. And I know Oregon flipped, um, obviously flipped uh, Dakota Fields earlier this year from USC. Um, and that was a, a recruitment that he had cited and said that the move that Oregon, you know, moving to the Big Ten was was a big part of why he was he was willing to flip over that commitment. So, yeah, the, the, this is going to continue to be a heated recruiting battle for these two schools going forward. And you're right. I mean, winning this game is obviously important for the season of both of these teams to continue with their goals that they have left in front of them this year. But also, you know, in the subtext of that larger um, recruiting battle down the road, and, you know, we didn't really talk about. Uh, from a recruiting standpoint, we didn't, we haven't talked about of late and, and I see Jay, Jay House joining us now. So maybe this is a good time to join and a little bit of recruiting talk. Cause one of the things we didn't talk about last week, QB was Elijah rushing who committed to Oregon after decommitting from Arizona a few weeks back. And uh, so maybe we'll start there, you know, QB, why don't you start and tell us a little bit about your thoughts on Elijah and, and his, um, his abilities and, and how you see him fitting into Oregon's defense. And then, and then Justin, Thanks for joining us. Maybe you can jump in a little bit and talk about his recruitment. Sounds good. From a, from a, Why don't you go first, Justin? Yeah, okay, he can go first. Oh, okay. Either way. No, um, you know, <clears throat> you know, obviously it's a big commitment. He's a five-star, you know, one of the one of the top guys out West. And, you know, I, I know all three of us on this podcast will agree, you know, you can never have too many guys like him, too many body types like him. Um, you know, you can never land enough of those kinds of guys. I think that really just in my mind and probably in Dan Lanning's mind kind of cemented the defensive line room. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're done. I'm not saying that they won't take any more defensive linemen, but you're kind of at the spot now after adding rushing and Breland uh, about a month ago that you can kind of sit back and say, okay, we're good. But, you know, adding Jericho Johnson or Solomon Williams or, you know, some of those guys potentially 
um, you know, would be nice. We wouldn't turn them away, but we could also be good in the same sense. So I think that's kind of where you th- see rushing coming into the mold. Um, you know, as we know, Mateo is having a really strong freshman campaign. You know, Blake Purchase is doing some really good things off the edge as well. There's still a lot of youth in that defensive line room, although, you know, we often talk about Dorless and we often talk about Birch. You know, those guys might not be there next year. So I think you feel good adding rushing, adding that depth, getting that player. Um, and just, I mean, again, you can't, I mean, we'll never say this enough. You can't teach 6'6", 225. I, I think the kid and, and a QB will probably expand on this. I think he's got some room to grow a little bit raw and certain things. And, and like many kids, um, you know, in high school have relied on his athletic supremacy, you know, over the competition, but, uh, you know, bring him in and let Tosh and, and, uh, and Coach Tuyati and those guys get a hold of them, and I think they'll make a player out of them. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. QB, where you want to jump in and tell us what you think of rushing? Oh, I, I was muted. My apologies. Um, yeah, I, I love rushing. I he's he's a big kid. I'm gonna be really interesting to see how his frame develops over the course of time because right now he's an edge player, but he's already 261 pounds. I'm not saying he's gonna move inside and play defensive tackle or nose tackle, but is he gonna be like a true like lean edge player, uh, like what Blake purchases, or is he gonna be somebody that grows into more of like I think what Justin said, like a, a Jordan Birch. Um, style player like who plays also in line a little bit more as like a five technique four eye. Uh, I say that because like the way his frame is put together, he's got, he's got a really good bubble and he's got like big muscle bellies through his lower half. So he's going to be able to like fill out and put on pretty substantial weight. So depending on how his body matures, how he uh, maintains his athleticism, flexibility and bend will determine whether or not he's like a real true edge player who's dropping a lot when playing on the playing in coverage, or if he's a guy who ends up playing more um, hand in the dirt as like a four I five technique. Uh, as it stands today, I think he'll end up being an edge player. And I think he's got a really good skill set for it. He's extremely long. He's really fluid and flexible. Um, and while he doesn't have elite twitch to the extent that someone like Kayvon Thibodeau did, um, he's got good at good burst and athleticism and good burst to close. Um, and I think he just will win with his rush in different ways, right? He'll be able to bring speed to power. He'll be able to bend the edge um, and absorb contact because he's such a good athlete. So uh, I, I love this pickup. It's a great pickup. He's so toolsy, um, and he, but he is really raw. And so it's just a question of how does this frame develop once Coach Love, um, Coach Jaworski, and some of the other guys on the on the strength staff, Coach Shaw Williams, get their, get their hands on him? Um, and then how does his skill set develop, and where does he end up being a primary player? Yeah, one of the things I like about this staff, um, or one of the things I think about the staff recruiting wise on the defensive side of the ball in particular is the fact that, you know, Lanning is a defensive minded head coach, right? That's his background is defense. Um, and then obviously with Tosh and Hampton and Tuyoti and the rest of the the crew there, they've got they've got a a really good group of defensive 
um, recruiters, but also like guys who really have a, a track record of, of coaching and developing players right across the, you know, every level of the defense don't leave out meat. Um, and I think when you're in these recruiting battles, you know, against the USC, against the Washington, not that you're in a lot of battles with Washington these days, but against the USC and, and some of these other programs you're in these recruiting battles for these defensive recruits. I mean, that's such a big selling point. I mean, obviously you're already, you already have a lot to sell if you're Oregon, you know, but now you have not only, everything you already have to sell, but you you can sell the fact that, look, we have a defensive minded staff who have a track record of, of developing guys who look at our defense now, especially now this year, you can sell, look how well our defense is playing. Like we're, we're actually playing at a high level defensively. We're in the top 20 and most of the defensive metrics now. So not only are you going to come play on a unit with a bunch of other dogs, uh, you know, a bunch of other really, really good defensive players that is going to, perform at a high level and that's going to allow you to perform at a higher level right because you're not trying to do too much you're not trying to make up for deficiencies across the rest of the defense you're also going to get developed you're also because you're going to see a lot of these guys at oregon start going in the nfl it's already happened started last year right but it's just going to keep going right so to be able to sell that to defensive players versus what a lincoln riley or somebody has to sell at usc it's a huge advantage for oregon well, and you're the you're the only one in the Western footprint that can really sell that, right? I mean, before, if you were a linebacker or defensive lineman or whatnot, and Alabama or Georgia came calling, it was. I mean, <laughs> we you didn't have any ammo, right? I mean, like they come calling, you're like, oh crap, okay, I guess they're going to go to the SEC and, and get developed over there. Uh, and now, you know, you you can you can be in that style of defense out west now with Dan Lanning in Oregon, and and that's a huge selling point for them. Yeah, Justin, you mentioned um, you mentioned earlier, right? That you know, the Oregon's recruiting with with rushing in the fold, especially on the defensive line, right? You're just kind of sitting there, you know, able to take guys like a Jericho Johnson or maybe a Solomon Williams, you know, if there's room and if that's a fit for you and if that, if, you know, if, if you win that battle, if you will. Right. But they, none of them are, I mean, obviously you always want more better players. Right. But you also have limits. <laughs> you have roster limits, you have NAL limits and, and you can't take them all. Right. But you're at the point now where you've, you, you know, literally you look up and down, the interior defensive line out, you know, edge players, linebackers, safeties, corners, like you've kind of hit your, you've hit your minimum quota on every one of those positions with high level players. I don't think Oregon has a single, I may be wrong on this. I don't think Oregon has a single defensive player. That's not a four or five star uh, on the commit list. Uh, yeah, you could be right. I think it might be one. I think one, but there's, yeah. I think most, there's only a, there's only like six three stars total, and I'm pretty sure most of them are on the offensive side of the ball. So, it, well, and to your point, they're not reaches, right? Yeah, and exactly. I think that's the that's the that's the point you're trying to make. They're not reaches. They're not they're not projects. You're not hoping they pan out. You know, they're not a Henry Mondo whom we all love, Henry Mondo, but you know that that took years to develop. They're you know, they're guys that, that have the ability to come in and play right away. And I think, to your point, there's a lot of versatility there. I think QB11 will say the same thing. It's not the same body type. You don't have just interior guys. You don't have just, you know, speed edge rush guys. You have all of them. You've got 
depth at all three, all four positions, however you want to look at it. And I think that one of the things that we often overlook that I think has been a huge part of Oregon's success this year and the fact that they've had, um, you know, have tended, tend, they've often pulled away in the second half of games is because of that depth and those bodies they've been able to rotate through and keep guys fresh. And when the defense or the offense is tired, whichever side it might be, you know, you've got bodies that come in and they're fresh and ready to go, and it just breaks your will. I, nobody else in the Pac-12 has anything like well, that. Well, I, so, I think what separates um, Oregon is like there's well uh, compared to the vast majority of teams, and I would argue all all the teams, Oregon one through twenty-two is either the best or very close to the best in the conference. But Oregon is way better than everybody else in the conference, twenty-three for, through forty-four. And and that's that's yeah. exactly what you're talking about. And I think that the fact that they've put away these games, we've talked about this a lot on different podcasts, but it's a self-feeding monster. You put teams away, and then all of a sudden we have probably almost two and three quarters or three full games worth of reps that have gone to young players who aren't even in the top 44 who will be members of the top 44 next year and the, or the following year. And so – what ends up happening is your your talent and your depth creates this advantage that then allows you to give even more developmental reps to the guys who are a little who are true freshmen or or guys that need some time to physically to develop, uh, which gives them valuable coaching tape to take into the off season. Um, and in that playing time, those snaps that it, it matters and it creates exponential growth across the roster, which just creates like this maintenance of a team that is like a lot better than everybody else. And then when you factor for, I mean, like you guys have been nailing it. I, I don't think Oregon is reaching on prospects. I think Oregon's being really patient. Um, I think that they know they this staff is really prioritizing tools, but they're also getting tools of guys who are good football players. Um, and, and Cooper Patania on his podcast with Bud Elliott, they talked about Oregon for about 15 minutes yesterday. Um, and that's what really what they were talking about was it's – the, the length, the size, the, the type of athlete that Oregon's recruiting on the front on both sides is different than everybody else out here. Um, and then the, just the overall team speed everywhere else. Uh, and, and that matters. And, and that's the biggest difference, I think, even when you hear Joel Klatt talk about Oregon, he's talking about the length. Like there, There's no shortage of 300-pound players you can recruit on the West Coast, but most of them are six foot, six one, six two, possibly. Whereas like Oregon's recruiting guys like Amari Washington and Terrence Green and Aiden Breland and Tioni Gray and, and, and Xadavian Sims, these guys all have great length. They have elite length, Elijah rushing. Uh, and then uh, to build off of what Justin was saying about skill sets, like you have a guy like Jackson Jones, for example, who's listed as an edge player, but I think he's going to play kind of all over the place for Oregon. I think he'll play some off-ball linebacker. I think he will rush off the edge. Um, they're going to use him a lot like how, how uh, Georgia used guys like Quay Walker or Channing Tindall or um, – or uh, Adam Anderson, they're not just straight up like they don't have to be straight up edge players all the time. Uh, there's a lot of versatility in the scheme, and when you recruit so many ideal body types, it gives you a lot of flexibility as a staff to deploy them in different ways um, and to get creative. And when you play like Oregon's playing, like close to 30 guys in in regular time, um, or, or, or sorry, close to 26 guys in regular time, uh, you can you can throw a lot of different things at an offense. Um, and, and I think that the depth is also on, on the offensive side of the ball, but I, I think we're focusing defensively right now. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at defense, you know, there's got, you know, just look at some of these younger players who aren't in the regular rotation, but are, are getting those minutes like Devin, Devin Jackson's played in seven games, but 125 snaps. That's, you know, that's about, like you said, four games worth. If, if he was in the two deep rotation, he'd be getting 30 to 40 snaps a game, right? A guy like Cole Martin, true freshman, he's played 87 snaps over six games. Again, that's two games worth of snaps. Um, you know, Amari Washington, six games, you know, that you know probably if he was in the rotation he'd have he's got 50 snaps so he he that's probably two two to three games worth right roger pleasant's played in four games ben roberts has played in four games right it, it just go up and down i mean he's just like you said they're these are like you can't simulate game reps right and then what's even more encouraging if you're oregon is when these guys get in the games they're the other team's not marching down the field and scoring touchdowns <laughs> i mean they're still they're still getting three and outs they're still getting stops they're still they're still playing at a high enough level where, and a lot of times against the the other team's number ones, where they're not, you know, they're presenting uh, like actual good resistance and good play uh, that, that is hard to, you know, for the offense. It's not like, you know, where you'd see in years past, you put in the, the backups and the other team all of a sudden scores 14 points, you know, basically like they're playing <laughs> against air. Yeah. Or, or we'd see two linebacker injuries and it's walk-ons out there, you know, it'd be just, it's a totally different, you know, roster. And it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable just how quickly Dan Lanning's been able to do that. And, and like, I, I know we're Oregon. spending a lot of time on recruiting, but it's really only the tip of the iceberg because we're doing this with, a, again, I'm not saying any of these guys aren't good players, like guys like Jordan Birch and Brandon Doros are great players, but like they, the, the body types and the quality of athlete that is being recruited. That's young, like the, the true freshman class on this team, the class that's going to be incoming it's it's a different caliber than what's currently on the roster and what's currently on the roster is really really good um and so like you see the direction this is going you see what's being built um and i think it's important to recognize that this is a good oregon defense this is not an elite nationally defense um and, and i i really think that's the direction that this thing is moving well, and it's the, like you said, it's not an elite defense, but it's a really good defense paired with a really good offense, which we've rarely seen at Oregon. It's usually kind of one or the other, uh, oftentimes on offense. But yeah, you have a, an offense that can win you games and you have a defense that can totally keep you in games. And it's it's definitely, you know, I would say outside of the 2012 season, it's it's pretty unique, you know, for an Oregon fan to experience this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is just a raw snap count for Amari Washington, but he's got 49 snaps on the year. That's, I mean, depending on it, that's three quarters of a game almost. Um, And he's a true freshman, so. Doug? You're muted. He doesn't know he's muted. (laughs) <laughs> you're right i didn't um yeah no i mean in the way oregon rotates along the defensive line that's really about a game and a half because um, they're playing about 30 35 snaps a game for their their top players there so um yeah it's super valuable i i think going you know going across the on the offensive side of the ball you know you've got some similar things happening to a lesser extent there right and this is the nature of offense you don't rotate in the same way as you do on defense, but you know you got a guy like Poncho, who's basically a a co-starter at this point, right? I think he actually outsnapped Stephen Jones in the last game. He's played 250 snaps on the year as a true freshman guard, which is in, you know incredible. And so if you know Jackson Powers Johnson, who's playing his way up the draft boards every week, he ends up going to pro this year. You have a guy that's going to be probably your starting center next year, who's played a significant amount of football this year. 
that, that's that's enormous. That's an enormous um, you know place to be as you head to next year, right? And and you got some other you know uh, another Dave Iuli has also played you know about two games worth of snaps along the offensive line. So you've, you're getting quality reps to a lot of these guys. I, I think we could, we beat that one to death probably. <laughs> but the points the points no. well made. Well, it's a good topic, and I think uh, something that you're kind of uh, leaning into there is I think we've seen Oregon really rely on the transfer portal um, defensively the last couple of years, and I think that this might be a year we see them go heavy on offense, you know, I mean, potentially at quarterback, potentially replacing Jackson Power Johnson, uh, you know, potentially at wide receiver, potentially at tight end. Um, who knows? I mean, we're speculating, but, you know, there are you could val- you know, you could you could validate some of those reasons for them to go heavy on offense on the transfer portal this year. I don't, I don't know that Landing's going to have the ability to sign 15 guys through the portal this year. But, you know, if he signs 10, I could see six or seven of them being on offense. This roster doesn't need that many guys. I mean, and with the way the numbers are breaking down with what they're going to finish with, they're probably going to have at most room like in six, like. Six means that there's guys leaving the program that we're not expecting, which I mean, possibly could be the case, right? But like, frankly, like they're going to have room for a quarterback. They'll have room for a receiver. Um, they'll have room Hopefully safety for a safety. Yeah, potentially a defensive lineman. But I mean, well, there's just not a lot of space, and there's a lot of really good young talent on this team. And frankly, like they they're going to play those guys. They're already playing them. Poncho, like, yeah, you lose Jackson Powers Johnson, but Poncho's getting rep is the backup back up at center and he's playing a lot of right guard um and who knows maybe jpj comes back uh ferguson maybe he comes back who knows i mean it's pretty clear to me that obviously bo can't come back but franklin will be gone Uh, i'm not anticipating any other attrition on the offensive line so it's like i i don't know i i think that there's a lot of people projecting oregon to fall off a lot harder than i think is probably reality next year Uh, but we'll have to see what what happens with the roster this offseason yeah, I mean, obviously, a lot of that is going to depend on quarterback, right? I think, um, you know, there's a few other positions where you might need to go out and get. I kind of, I kind of think it's like maybe five to six guys out of the portal because, I mean, at some point, yeah, you you recruit you're recruiting all these guys. I mean, obviously, Dan's first class was 22, but that's a, you know, kind of a, a handoff class, right? You know, you look at what he brought in in 23, and then you look at what he's bringing in in 24. Um, you know, and a lot of those guys, especially the 23s, are going to be ready to play and want to play. And then in this, you know, era, you can't be like, oh, yeah, well, we're going you know, to stay on the bench. We're going to bring a guy in over the top of you from the portal. Because um, then that guy's just going to leave anyway. And then what's the point of recruiting him and developing for two years? So at some point, you got to play these guys that you've been recruiting now that they're your guys that you brought in and you believe in, right? And you use the, the, the transfer portal to fill in the spots where you didn't have your hits like safety. Uh, I think is is a premium, a prime one we're talking about, or maybe you need a wide receiver one that you have a, you have a guy targeted who wants to come here, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. Anything more we want to touch on roster recruiting wise, or should we get into this game? Uh, I think uh, we can get into the game, and unless there's any visitors you want to talk about, Justin. Um, you know, it's tough. You know, I, I think that they were kind of targeting this weekend to bring in a lot of guys. And I think, you know, between just some of the guys they have been able to bring in the last couple of weeks. And I think if you kind of look around the landscape, there's a lot of, uh, of high schools heading into playoffs or getting near playoffs, you know, making this kind of a difficult weekend for some, 
you know, Roger Saliapaga is, you know, an uncommitted tight end, um, you know, taking his official visit, you know, that's a big one. I know that, you know, Xavier Phil same, the five-star safety that's committed to Florida said he might come, but it's not a for sure thing. I assume if he does, it would be an unofficial visit. So a visit's great, but if it's unofficial, that means he's probably going to come back at another point. Um, and they pushed Jericho Johnson's visit back, I think probably just kind of schedule wise and because he's not really quite ready to make a decision yet. So um, I, I think there will be some really, you know, good 20 quality 25s visiting, but in terms of, you know, Oregon's going to have three, five stars on campus and, and, and 10, four stars. I, that's just not going to happen this weekend. And so I think it's going to be a great weekend. It's a solid weekend. I love how many 25s they've been able to bring in that they are targeting and have already offered uh, early on in this cycle. That's kind of being the bigger storyline for me. But, you know, I think at this point you're, you know, quote unquote, kind of punting more or less until uh, after the season when you can bring those guys in December, uh, you know, just ahead of that early signing period. So it'll be a good weekend. I just don't know that it'll be kind of one of those, you know, headlining, you know, just big banger weekends. You know, and that actually, I don't mind that because you're bringing them in December. That's closing time. Yeah, I mean, it makes That's more cool. sense yeah. to bring them in in December. Plus, again, like you said, there's a lot of conflict schedule-wise. Some some of these high schools are playing playoff games on Saturdays, too, depending on the state, um, which makes travel really difficult. And even if you play a Friday night game, thankfully this is a night game, which will allow some prospects to come in. But um, I think really just laying the groundwork with 25s is the priority right now and then getting ready to close strong. Um, next month on your, it's kind of crazy that signing day is almost only a month away, like literally almost a month away, right? Yeah, yeah. Is it December fifteenth again yeah. this year? It's whatever uh, that day is or whatever. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's like the eighteenth or something like yeah, that. But, but yeah, yeah, we're we're uh, a little bit over a month out. Um, and so that that's when you're going to see a lot of these guys, like the Jordan Seedens, the Jericho Johnsons, taking their their official visits to Oregon. Um, but like seeing a guy like Nasir Wyatt show up on campus again, I believe this is his second game this season here. Uh, five-star 2025 yep. edge slash linebacker from Otter Day. Um, we saw a lot. Well, who was it last week? Uh, Moore, to carry him. Is it Moore? The receiver oh, from yeah, DK Moore. Yeah. Moore yeah. DK Moore. Yep, yeah. DK Moore. We saw the safety um, Fagans from, from Thompsonville hmm. um, in Alabama. Like they, they've had, a lot of their top guys come out for games and that's really like this, this early foundational work huge. is what's going to be huge in the spring when it comes time to start really building that 25 class. Cause you already have four commitments four really quality commitments in that class. Um, and it seems that there's a lot of high end interests moving forward. Well, this feels like it's just all more of the extension of the, the timeline moving up earlier too. Right. Because you know, with the 25s, right. You want to try to get those commitments in the summer or even in the spring, right, particularly in that June period, right? Well, the fact that you've had them to, for games, right, they're not missing that. What's the game day environment like? What's that atmosphere like? They've seen it, right? They've been to now uh, some games or multiple, multiple games. They've been to spring game again, right? So it you know it makes it easier to get that early commitment when they have the full experience and they've, they've seen it all, right? Whereas with the 24s, they've already been to their games. They've been here a bunch of times. Bringing them back in December when it's, you know, a week before signing day, the last weekend of visits allowed. Like it's just such a better move where you can also spend a lot more time on them. Right. Cause on a game day, the coaches, they do what they can. They spend time with the players, but it's obviously limited because they're prepping their team. 
They've got all the obligations of game day that they have to do before and after the game, right? They get a little bit of time with the players, but you bring them out on that weekend in December, they got the whole weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I Doug, I, I think you bring up just something that, that fans aren't really embracing yet. And it's just because the recruiting timeline keeps moving up every year <laughs> and the, and the learning is, you know, we have to learn, we have to adapt, right? I mean, NIL has changed things. The early signing period has changed things The you know, just the timeline has changed things. And, and, you know, if you think about when Dan Lanning got here, you know, they were behind the eight ball, right? They, they were so far behind uh, with that 23 class and they did a little bit of making up that ground with the 24 class, but they've really flipped it on this 25 class because like you said, now as you go into, you know, March, which has become a critical, you know, recruiting period, March and April, uh, such a critical recruiting time, you've already had those guys on campus say, this is what it's like in a game. This is what our game day is like. This is what we do on game days. Now come hang out with us. Now come spend the weekend with us or whatever. Um, and I think if you look back, a lot of the 2024 commits, uh, I don't know how many of them probably really had the opportunity to come see Oregon play a game last year. You know, so this is just kind of moving that timeline up and Oregon being super aggressive and putting themselves in a great spot for, you know, a lot of these five stars early well, on. Well, when you think of guys like Elijah Rushing and Aiden Breeland, they did, right? Like those were guys that were early on the board. I mean, like Elijah Rushing was one of the first prospects that like Coach Lapoy and Coach Lanning visited after they got hired and he was two at that point he was two classes out because they were still putting together the remainders of that 2023 class um but like you said i think now now that there's been continuity i mean one of the things that's not talked about is under the crystal ball era at oregon there was no continuity in the bat in the in the front office staff right so there was a different recruiting coordinator every year there was a different director of personnel almost every year um, and now they have they have an all star group that's been together here since Dan Lanning was was hired, right? Like you have Marshall Malco leading up that group as the chief of staff, and you got Trey Dean and some of the other recruiting staffers. Um, and so there's they're they're chugging along like a well oiled machine because there's so much clarity and understanding um, of of what the objective is, and they've had time to do advanced scouting on future classes for prospects and and start putting together their boards in advance, whereas last year and the year before it was really like doing the job um all at once as opposed to being able to take your time with it and so i think that next year is going to be a, a class that we see get put together probably pretty early again um but i think it's going to ha- benefit greatly from all of the uh the on-campus and off-campus recruiting that's been able to be done um in the prior years Yeah, I love that Oregon reactivated that Oregon Gridiron Twitter account, which is which is a recruiting specific account, you know, aimed kind of targeted at recruits that had been dormant for years. Um, and they've been kind of doing some cool stuff on there that I, I think gives recruits kind of a little bit more of a like behind the scenes look at kind of behind the scenes, but out in public, right, if you will, of kind of the day in the life of, of an Oregon football player, you know, some of that stuff. They've had some cool content on there. Cool. And then honestly, those cinematic videos that come out every week which are just incredible like those are recruiting videos too yeah those I as mean, much as, as a at... fan i love those like the the, the 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 primary uh target audience for those are recruits yeah oh yeah 100 percent. yeah that's what's so great about those they they're both like the fan i mean as a fan i just can't get enough of them but it's sitting here also knowing like yeah these these are especially those last couple when they're giving you kind of that behind the scenes look at the prep and what's going on on the, the comms or everything and just kind of showing you the, like how 
what a top to bottom like operation everything is and and how it's 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 all like planned and designed and well oiled and you know Oregon's really been hitting the like player led program stuff a lot lately and and I think those kind of tie into that right but it's all none of it's accidental and none of it's random right they're not just spraying random stuff out there it's all connected go back to Dan you know I was saying connection right is one of the four cornerstones of the program but but it's the same with the recruiting strategy their marketing strategy their media strategy all of it it's all connected it's not random it's not haphazard it's not just throwing one-offs it's really smart yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the the program is operating at such a high level right now it's unbelievable yeah yeah we've never seen anything like you this talk here. about like i think the key word here is intent right like i know that like i just got done doing my business planning last week for the next year and that was a that was like a, a key theme for me was like everything that i'm going to be doing is with a certain intent right like there's not there's not an activity that i'm doing just for the activity um, and, and I think that that's very clear that there's there's intentionality behind everything that's happening in the program. Um, and, I, and again, I think that you just have such a such, so such competent and talented people running every aspect of things, um, and they're all united by this connective tissue and this really um, this goal that they all understand and embrace. And they have a leader like Dan. I think it's just it's it's coming through in literally everything that they do down to the media team, whether it's uh, the, the actual on-field staff and the coaching, the recruiting and the recruiting staff. Uh, there's It seems that everybody, even the NIL, like everyone's rowing in the same direction uh, with the same cadence right now in Eugene. It's a well-oiled machine. All right, let's get to the game. We're uh, almost 40 minutes into this podcast. We haven't talked about the game yet. So big game uh, at USC this weekend coming to town. We talked about a little bit of that. Uh, so obviously they lost to Washington last week, 52-42, to 42, and a bit of a shootout down there in L.A. Um, Washington, of course, takes advantage of that, moves to 9-0 and in the year. Um, but the Husky – or not the Husky the, – the, the Trojans were able to put up 500 yards of offense. Caleb Williams is still Caleb Williams. He's second in the country in yards passing, first in, in touchdowns thrown. Obviously, the reigning Heisman winner, um, he can do damage out there, and he's got some weapons at his disposal that can can certainly, if Oregon's not bringing their A game, can cer- or even if they are, can certainly take advantage and, and put some points on the board. So um, let's talk a little bit about that side of the ball first. You know, USC's offense against Oregon's defense and QB, why don't you get us started and kind of what do you see as the, the keys to this game here on that side of the ball? Well, tackling Caleb Williams is important um, since he's, he is their whole offense and most of their offense takes with him takes place off script. Um, so it's, it's not so much about him just sitting back in the pocket, delivering the ball quickly um, and, and just dicing you up that way. It's primarily him scrambling around broken plays creating really difficult situations where your defensive backs have to have to cover for five six seven seconds um which is way too long to expect anybody to to do that um and so he's a he's a special talent he's got transcendent talent he's his arm talent's insane he can um he can layer the ball at all three levels he can drive it into really small holes in the defense um he's a good athlete He's, a, he's an elite athlete in the box, like getting out of getting out of trouble um, on the run. He's not like the most explosively fast guy. He's not Robert Griffin, the third bat running down the field, but he's a good, he's a really good runner. Um, and that's really where their offense starts and finishes. I mean, there's, 
They've got a solid offensive line in the run game, but they don't pass protect particularly well, but it doesn't matter. And I think that's going to be the biggest key for Oregon is when you get shots with free runners, when you get opportunities to sack the quarterback, you got to finish um, because that's that's everyone's biggest priority against Caleb Williams and USC because he doesn't have the best ball security, um, as we saw last week against Washington and at different times against Notre Dame. Um, if you can create pressure and actually finish those plays, there's going to be opportunities for you to cause turnovers. Uh, but that's so much easier said by me sitting here in front of a microphone talking on a podcast than actually done on the field because he's probably the most elusive quarterback I've ever watched. Hop, you got anything to add? Uh, no, I love all the points there. And, and yeah, he's very much a, you know, kind of like a, a college version of, of Josh Allen or, you know, Patrick Mahomes, right? Just those guys are so good at what they do because – of their skills. And then like Andrew said, just their, their ability to kind of extend the plays and, and, and just kind of make things happen that most people can't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, you know, most, most quarterbacks drop back and if it's not there, they, they, they throw it into the first row or, or it's over. And, you know, I, th- I think for me, I, I, yeah, you've got to figure out what to do with Caleb Williams. Right. But I think um, this kind of goes back to the Washington game for me a little bit. I think Washington had a really good game plan for Oregon and the fact that, you know, they leaned heavily on the run game for the first time that year, you know, just kind of expecting Oregon to, you know, go after Phoenix. And I think Oregon has to make sure that Marshawn Lloyd or Raylick Brown or whoever's back there, um, you know, kind of isn't allowed to get, get off on them because that can really make this game difficult. Um, I don't think you'll make Caleb Williams, you know, not be able to beat you, but, you know, again, this is where you kind of let the dogs run and get after him and, and try and knock him down a few times and see what you can do. Um, because it seems as though that rattles him a little bit at the very least. And I think that's kind of where, you know, you want that to go, especially if, if the crowd is lively and hostile. So, and, and like anything, just do your best to not give up those big backbreaking plays, because I think that's where, you know, I, I, I think that's, you know, to me, the, the the Washington game in a nutshell was just, you know, them doing a really good job running the ball, maybe when they shouldn't or when Oregon wasn't expecting to, and then just coming up with some of those big plays, you know, that, that just kind of broke Oregon's back. So, um, but they don't, uh, Washington didn't have a great offensive line and USC has an even worse offensive line. So uh, if you're Oregon, I, I say you just kind of pin yours back and get going. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, and Williams Williams has been sacked twenty seven times this year, so almost three times per game. So he is gettable, uh, but the question is, you know, how, I mean, he's been sacked twenty seven times, but how many has he escaped? Right? I mean, three times that many, maybe. Yeah, because um, their offensive line is is certainly not great. Um, so I think they do give up a lot of pressure, but uh, he is able. Unlike you know, compare that to like a Shador Sanders, right? Who, who's probably been sacked three times as often. Uh, I'm not sure they've faced probably a, a significantly different number of of sackable plays, if you will, or pressures that, that Caleb's just elite at, at escaping them and, and making something happen. Uh, you know, when you look down at his weapons in the receiving game, I, it's interesting because there's a lot of guys that you think should be great receivers on this team, whether by the recruiting ranking or their – you know, name or, or something, but they, they kind of seem like an underwhelming group overall. I mean, they're, you know, they're led by Taj Washington and Brennan Rice, um, who Taj averages almost 20 yards a carry. Rice has 10 touchdowns on the year to lead the team. Both of those guys are well over to Taj is at 800 yards. Brennan Rice is at 560. Uh, but then you look down, the, it gets, it, you know, the, 
it kind of goes way down after that. Mario Williams has not been near the player in California that he was in his freshman year at Oklahoma. Um, seems to be more of a possession guy, you know, gets a little bit of action here or there. Um, Dorian Singer coming up from Arizona is barely 200 yards on the year. Just almost a like uh, just an, an afterthought at this point in their offense. And then, you know, Zachariah Branch had a start, a, a promising start to the year in the first bit of the season, but he's really kind of been not really a factor in the passing game over the last four games, only seven catches for, you know, 50 yards over, over the last four games. So certainly you got to watch out for him in this, in the return game, but he doesn't seem to get utilized a lot in the passing game. So it'll be interesting to watch and see if anything changes there. Yeah. This is one of the worst receiver rooms that USC's had in a long time. Um, and I think that the, the redeeming qualities offensively outside of Caleb Williams here are obviously the branch just because like he hasn't been super productive, but it doesn't take much for him to get, make a huge play. Um, and so limiting yeah. his touches um, is, is going to be an important thing for the ducks. And then I think Austin Jones has done a good job at running back. We'll see if Marshawn Lloyd plays in this game. He missed last week with an injury. I don't know the nature of the injury. I don't know if they're expecting him back or not, uh, but Marshawn Lloyd's a good back. Um, and, and I think that one of the things that Lincoln does a really good job of is scheming up the run game. Um, like he's kind of like the, he's one of the, the more respected like counter run game designers um, in, in college football. Uh, and, and we saw that last week against, against Washington, just completely with, with a, with an okay run blocking offensive line, but far from an elite one. Um just creating all kinds of problems um, with angles uh, and alignment for, for, for the Washington defense. And so I think gap discipline will be really important as well in this game. If you can limit the run game and make them a one-dimensional team, and I think that a lot of that comes down to Oregon's offense just doing what it should do against that USC defense. So, Yeah, the, the run game is interesting because statistically it actually performs very well. Um but it seems like at times they they just stop running the ball like kind of inexplicably. It's like they, you know, they'll go a whole quarter and never call a run play, even though the previous quarter they had had like pretty significant success running the ball. It, it, it's, it's interesting to me because I always watch USC and I feel like they should run the ball more. They're pretty good at it. Well, they should. They just forget to do it in the second half of games. <laughs> yeah. Well, or they're behind, right? Because their defense hasn't stopped anybody. You know, I it's, yeah. And it's really weird because you bring up the point about the receivers. This is a, you know, just kind of an underwhelming group. But, you know, last year they had Jordan Addison and he had his worst year, you know, in the last three. It's just weird how these Caleb Williams is ungodly talented, but these almost these receivers go to die, you know, in this offense or with Caleb Williams. I don't know what the deal is, but um, because Dorian Singer had a tremendous year at Arizona a year before and then goes to, USC and is almost unheard of. It's just, it's kind of an anomaly. I don't know. I can't put my well, finger I can, on it. I can give you a little bit of an idea. So like, if you give me, give me two seconds here, I'll pull up the stats for you and give you the research. But um, so far, like they, they, they rotate receivers a lot. Um, like way more than, way more than the average team. So like they, they'll play eight guys. And that means that all eight guys are going to play pretty similar snaps. Whereas like, like I'm pulling up singer, right now um 
Uh, this is horrible podcasting. I apologize. Yeah, no, no. While you're pulling that up, I mean, so yeah, if you just go down the list, I mean, just going down the reception list, like Taj Washington is 43, Brennan Rice has 32, Mario Williams is 28, Branch 20, Singer 22, Kyron Hudson 14, Michael Jackson the third 17, Jacoby Lane 3, Makai Lemon 4, you know, now you're getting into probably guys who are playing garbage time, but to the point you're making, there's seven or eight guys there that seem to be in the rotation at receiver, which seems, I mean, Oregon has four in in their receiver (laughs) rotation. Yeah. Um, So he's played 362 plays this year. Last year at Arizona, he played... Loading. The loading. So that's 36 per game. Yeah. Yeah, which is probably about half the snaps, a little more than half. Yeah, and then in 2022 at Arizona, he played um, offense during Singer 810 in a 12-game yeah. season. So yeah. he's, he's like, he's going to play about half the snaps that he played last year. I mean, if he played 810, he probably played pretty darn near every snap. Yeah, I could yeah. tell you on a percentage basis what that was. That was 95% <laughs> of offensive snaps. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to be enough half this year. But he also hasn't been super effective. I mean, he's, he's got 22 catches for 10 yards a catch. I mean, yeah. those aren't. it's not like he's like a production machine when he's playing. He's just. Well, and it's that time of year, kind of but there's okay. also been a lot of criticism for something that we've talked about a couple times on this podcast where it's like Caleb Williams doesn't really play within the framework of the offense like an elite quarterback. What he does elite is the stuff improvis- improvisationally, right? Um, he's yeah. not sitting in and really going through full field progressions and making quick decisions, which is probably where Singer is going to be better uh, versus in the imp- improvisational stuff. Do you think that affects his his draft stock? I don't know because I think I've he's heard this theory. I think it's he's such an elite talent that I think that they'll that there will be NFL coaches that think they could fix him. I mean, it's not going to be more than one or you know, instead of first, you might go second or something. Yeah, but, uh, like, yeah I don't, I, I don't. It's, it's a curious thing. Like I, I don't know. We'll see what happens during the draft process. Like, can some would could I see someone convincing themselves that Drake May is a better prospect? Possibly, but like physically, Caleb Williams is just insane, um, and like that matters a lot. So, well, we'll see. Well, it's not like Drake May is like lighting the season on fire either. He's been pretty good. Yeah, he's been he's been okay. He's been. I take him. He's pretty good. I mean, I take him too, but I'm, I don't have an NFL team, so I don't care. Uh, you know, anything else you want to talk about on the Trojans' offense, like, or maybe you know, you see Oregon doing anything unusual in this game? Do you think they're just going to play their their standard no, I base think, nickel defense? I think Oregon's just going to play the stuff they've played all year. That's who we are. Um, I think that we'll be able to control the line of scrimmage and limit the run game for the most part. I think that they'll use Caleb to uh, create a numbers advantage for themselves. And I think they'll run him in this game early and often, uh, but we'll see if they stick with that throughout the game. Like designed yeah. runs. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they, they're, they're, they can't stand up just offensive, like our front seven against their front five. Like that's not a winning matchup for USC. They're going to have to get a number back by using Caleb. And hmm. that's a good point. Yeah. They, they might run him more, but if he gets popped a couple of times, that'll, that'll probably Close that down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just it's just one of those things where like they like, they don't. They're not, I'm sure they don't want to, but they're probably going to have to if they want to run the ball. Um, 
Yeah. But, like, USC is going to score points in this game. Like, don't get it twisted. Oregon is not going to be shutting down this offense. Like, they they have <laughs> right. too no. many playmakers. They have way too good of a quarterback and too good of an offensive mind running the show to not score points. It's just, like, how many stops can Oregon get in a game? Like, can Oregon get a stop on every third drive? If Oregon gets a stop on every third drive, they probably win this game by multiple possessions. Yeah. No, they're going to score. Yeah, so when the gamers – when we'll see it in the gamer, I'm sure, on Saturday when Caleb Williams gets 14 points or whatever in the first quarter. I mean, they're going to get points. It's just I, – I feel like this is going to be one of those games where the second half is, is yeah. a different – you know, much different game. Specifically yeah. on script it feels at little, the beginning of the game. Like, yeah. like Lincoln Riley is elite on script, and so is Caleb Williams. I'm sure they're going to have a good script. I'm sure they'll come out and move the ball early. Yeah, and that – and. I think when Oregon has, particularly over the last, you know, half of the season or two thirds of the season, you know, that's typically when you've seen Oregon give up its most points and yards is kind of early in games on script. So that wouldn't yeah. surprise me at all as well. What's interesting about this one, I just forgot what I was going to say. Yeah, well, I, I know, I know interesting. what's really interesting <laughs> is that I don't think a single player on the USC defense knows what a run fit is, and I want to talk about that. Yeah, so <laughs> let's talk about the defense, because uh, what's interesting to me on the defensive side of the ball is it looks like you have, and, and, and USC has recruited a lot of blue-chip players on that side of the ball, and they brought in some from the portal, and it's like you see this collection of uh, you know, kind of like we were talking about with the wide receivers, but uh, but up and down their defense even more so. It's like, oh, you know, you've got you've got Damani Jackson, you've got Sayer Wright, you've got uh, Bear Alexander, you've got Anthony Jones, you've got all these guys, or Anthony Lucas, sorry, you've got all these guys that they've brought in, and you know, some guys from the portal, and it's like individually, there's got to be some talent there, but I've never seen a team collectively play with. It's like one plus one equals negative seven. <laughs> there's just, there's just like the, the part is adding up to, you know, not even close to the sum, right? I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I think you do. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think that the, the pieces are nearly as good as um, people have, have led on. So like Anthony Lucas, for example, is a player that we knew was going to be hitting the portal at A&M. There was a lot of rumors about it all summer. Um, and so I watched a lot of his film because it's, I knew Oregon was going to at least like show a little bit of interest in him. Um, but he he's really raw, right? And like he he is definitely in need of like another offseason strength and conditioning, um, and in technical development. And I don't know how much technical development's going on in Los Angeles these days. Uh, and like Bear Alexander is a really physically gifted player, but there's a reason that like he left Georgia, uh, and Georgia didn't really put up much of a fight to try to keep him um, because there's some major maturity issues there. And then really outside of those two guys, like who are the talented players on the front? They've got they've got Savian Bird, who's uh, a, Corey Foreman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Five star they, Corey got Foreman. Some, yeah, but uh, Corey Foreman's also been on that program for a couple of years now. He's played three percent of snaps this year, um, and hasn't yeah, done anything right. Like Savian Bird's right. been solid. Uh, Muhammad was the transfer from uh, uh, not Middle Tennessee, I think Memphis, um, and he, he's a decent player, but nothing nothing to write home to mom about. Eric Gentry is a spider at linebacker. He's super long, but he can't get off a block to save his life. Uh, Mason Cobb is probably the only player on that in that group that would actually play for a good defense, other than Bear Alexander. 
Um, like they, they were relying on, on transfers from Arizona, like Keon bars. I mean, we remember how horrible that Arizona defense was last year, not to say that there weren't players with redeeming traits on that defense. Um, but like, this is, this is far from an elite talent pool that they're playing with. And, um, I think that Dante Williams has sunk enough cornerbacks careers, enough highly rated cornerbacks careers. And, and since I've been watching him coach football, uh, whether it's my kill, right, whether it's, um, whether it will now it's Damani Jackson, but like this is a poorly coached group in the defensive backfield. There's some talented players. I think Kalen Bullock's really talented. I think um, Zachariah Branch um, is really, really talented, but uh, Zion Branch. What? Or sorry. Yeah. You Zion, mean his brother Zion yeah, Branch. Zion, yeah. Zion Branch is really talented. I think Christian Roland Wallace is a solid player, but he's also coming back to college for his 16th trillionth year for a reason. Um, I, I just, I think that this is a mix mash group of, slightly above average to average players who are playing in a scheme that they don't understand. Uh, and it shows up because they just don't, they don't execute. They don't know what their run fits are. There's zero discipline. There's zero physicality. I mean, outside of bear Alexander, just playing with, with a rocket up his ass on every other snap, there's nobody on this team. That's like a consistently dominant force. And so um, I think that when you mix that with poor understanding of the scheme and really bad discipline, you get a one of the worst defenses in college football. And this is literally one of the worst defenses in college football. Which is kind of, I mean, they're 108th in the country in yards uh, yards per play. Yeah, um, it's bad. Which is just kind of like obscene for a team like USC. <laughs> like, how does that even happen? I mean, we, we talked about how bad the Oregon defenses was the last couple of years, and they never got as bad as as USC, I mean, 87th in yards per uh, attempt, right? I, I don't even know how that happens at a program like USC. It, you know, 115th in yards uh, yards per rush against. 115th. Well, I mean, Washington had 199 yards before contact in the run game last week. Like, they were blocking Jeez. it up so good. Like, and, like, that Washington offensive line is, like, they've got some good players on the edges. Uh, I really like Troy Fautanu. I like... Rosengarten, I think that the center Brailsford will be a good player, but he's like he's still pretty small. Like this is not, and like the guards are horrible. Like the guards are legitimately bad, um, and they just they made they looked like an NFL offensive line against USC last week. So we'll see. I mean, yeah. maybe the firing of Grinch gets a more fired up unit that's playing with better discipline. Uh, but I think that's a lot to fix in one week, especially yeah, going on the road. And F plus. 124th in, in um, points per game, 88th in F plus. Uh, they're just. I would assume there's not many power five so, defenses below them in F plus. Uh, no, I I'll look, but I don't think so. But it it's kind of shocking because you have such a great offense, right? You don't even need like you you look at Washington as a corollary, right? Like their offenses are of similar caliber and productivity. And, and style, I mean, you know, they, they both get most of their offense through the air. I think USC is a better running offense in general. But whereas Washington has a defense that's ranked in the 30s and they're 9-0, and USC is a defense ranked in the 80s or 90s or 100s and they're 7-3. and <laughs> I mean, you, they don't even need to have a great defense. They just need to have an average defense and they could be right there in the hunt for all of their goals this year. This is It's kind of shocking. And like to go even further, like if you remove Caleb Williams from this team, this is probably a five and seven team, maybe four and eight. Like this is oh, this yeah. is not a good five. This is that's at best. Yeah, this is not a good football team. This is a, a bad team that has a transcendent quarterback. 
hundred percent. Yeah, and I mean that's that's what's yeah, going to be frustrating on Saturday. Is not a, their offensive line is not good. Their their uh, their receivers, I think, are pretty average. So yeah, I they, how I mean they're seven and three right now. How many more games do they? I mean they probably lose that Arizona game, right? They probably lose. Well, without Caleb Williams, they lose to Cal. Know. They lose to Arizona. Like they have to play us still. They still have to play UCLA. I mean. Again, that's not the point. They they have Caleb Williams, right? Um, And that's really what, like, the whole point of this. What I'm me saying that is, Caleb Williams is such a good player that basically by himself, he's made this a team that is scary to everyone because of how many points they can put up. But when you look at the fundamentals of this team across the board, everywhere else, it's not a good football team, and it's why I think USC is really going to struggle next year in the Big Ten because they're also not recruit like they're recruiting well, but they're not recruiting like super well. Not on the trenches, for sure. Yeah. I don't even know if they're recruiting well. I guess it's okay, but yeah. <laughs> better better than Washington. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's not saying a whole lot. I mean, USC, I think, has like the fifth-rated class right now in the Big Ten for next year, which is fine. Um, but, like, they are not going to – like, physically, they are not going to match up well in that conference. Like, there are bad teams in that conference who are going to physically just beat the shit out of USC next year. Like I don't know who's on there. Yeah, Iowa, Iowa beat the shit. Yeah, I mean we've seen it. Like I, when Iowa played, uh, Iowa and USC played in a uh, in a Holiday Bowl, like when Heldon was the coach. Um, yeah, I'm pulling it up right now. Like three years ago or four years ago, in 2019, and Iowa beat them. Like Iowa looked like they were explosive on offense. They beat them 49 to 24. <laughs> Iowa just completely. I found three. Good. Oh, Iowa just completely piss pounded them. Like there was, it was, it was an uncompetitive football game where I, where USC looked like, like a blow up doll getting ran over by a freight train. Yeah, there's only three Power Five defenses ranked lower than USC in, in F plus: um, Colorado, Stanford, and um, one spot lower is Kansas. Yeah, Kansas has been really struggling, but also another really fun team to watch offensively. Like let me let me like throw this out there before we move on because we need to move on. Uh, they this is the twenty four USC schedule. They play LSU and Vegas to open. They play Utah State before a bye week, and then they go to Michigan. They play Wisconsin at home. They play at Minnesota. They play Penn State at home. They go to Maryland. They play Rutgers at home. They go to Washington. Then they're off before playing Nebraska at UCLA and Notre Dame. USC, depending, I mean, they, they have to have an insane transfer portal hall um, because USC legitimately could be a 500 football team very easily next year. Yeah, I kind of had that pegged at like seven and five, eight and four, you know, kind of assuming some you new know, split these two, split those two kind of thing. But, but you're right. Uh, it, but here's the thing they thought they had an insane transfer portal hall this year. And what, when you actually look at what, you know, what turned out, it, it wasn't nearly as good as they thought. No. Oops. <laughs> well, let's move on to our national uh, picks. All right. Yeah, let, well, let's pick up this game first. So Oregon is 15-point. Uh, I mean, who would have thought this a couple weeks ago? 15-point favorite in this game at home. Um, I'm going – I picked a, I picked USC to cover, like, pretty much the whole season. They've, I think, not covered, like, eight games in a row. I'm finally going to pick against USC. I'm going to take Oregon to cover the 15. Yeah, Sam, this is not going to be a competitive football game, in my opinion. It'll be competitive for a half, um, but at some point this game is going to get out of hand, and I think USC will fold like a cheap chair. 
I think it's like the 2019 game. Very much so. Agreed. 2019. Yeah. All right, Hop, what about you? Yep, same. Oregon covers, and I echo the same sentiments. It it'll it might be within ten at the halftime, and then it, it, Oregon will come out and never look back. Yeah, I, I think that. All right, Dan, let's go really quick. Go. I think Dan will like is not gonna like go easy on them because this is the only team that you really recruit against out west anymore. Uh, so I think like a statement will be attempted by the staff on this game. I love to see it. All right, the other big one in the Pac-12, Utah goes up to Washington, who's a nine-and-a-half-point home favorite, trying to keep their unbeaten season alive. I've got – I think Washington's going to do it. I just, I don't think Utah has enough firepower to keep pace in this one. I think it, it they're going to try to make the game ugly. I think they're going to have some success at times, but I think in the end they just don't have enough offensive firepower to keep pace, and I do think Washington covers the nine-and-a-half. What do you say, Justin? Washington wins but does not cover. Yeah, I'm with Hop on this one. I, I think that um, Utah against this interior defensive line for Washington is going to be able to find enough things. Um, I'm not super confident in this, but Utah is really good at making games ugly. So I'll, I'll take Utah to cover the 9.5. All right, next one, Arizona. Hot hot as uh, the, the town they come from. Arizona goes on the road to Colorado. 10-point road favorite. When's the last time Arizona was a 10-point road favorite? <laughs> I don't know. A long time ago. I, I am know. going with Arizona, though. I think Colorado is a team on the decline. I think Arizona is hot right now. And I'm going to go with uh, the Wildcats. Give me the fighting Jed Fishes as well. Yep, that's three. I agree. All right, Stanford going up to Corvallis, perhaps for the last time in a while, take on Oregon State. This one is a 21-point line. I, I Oregon State is a better team at home than on the road significantly. I think they're a much different team at home. But I do like what Stanford's been doing lately. I think they've shown some fight. They've shown some things. I don't think Oregon State is particularly explosive offense. So I like them to win, but I don't think they're going to cover 21. So I'm going to go with Stanford. Same. I did pick Oregon State. I think they'll cover, just being at home. Yeah, they are a different team at home, um, and they do run the ball really effectively, and that's one of that's the worst part of Stanford's defense, in my opinion. Um, but I, I think that Stanford's going to be able to find some things through the air against this Oregon State defense uh, to keep this within three scores. So that's that's the thinking behind my cover. That makes sense. All right, Arizona State at UCLA. Uh, UCLA is a 17-point home favorite in this one. I just want to know, as I know Kenny Dillingham and Arizona State only put up 83 yards last week, and I think they'll get a little bit more here, but I can't. I don't know. Is UCLA going to find enough offense to win by 17? I'm taking uh, I'm taking the Devils to, to cover. I, I, UCLA wins easily, though. Yeah, I'm taking UCLA. I don't really – they could have me at quarterback. It Arizona State, I don't even know if they have a quarterback healthy in this game. Um, so give me give me the, uh, the Bruins. I think their defensive front's going to dominate this game. I went with I went with ASU to cover. They will not win. I, they, they will not win, but I think Dilly gets it close. All right. Uh, Washington State at Cal. Cal is a one-point home favorite in this one. I'm taking Cal <laughs> because Washington State is a team that has clearly – checked out they've got some significant problems in inside that program right now they are reeling and they're going to continue reeling and cal will win and cover the one point i said cal too i'm going to take washington state uh i i don't think that 
Washington State is inspired. I don't think they should win this game, but I don't trust Cal as a favorite at all. So um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna take Cam Ward by himself against Cal uh, to cover. Wilcox will Wilcox will figure out a way to give it up. Yep. <laughs> all right, we're gonna go across the other side of the country. The big game nationwide this week is Michigan playing their first real game of the year. Um, Eight, nine games into the season, they're finally playing someone with a pulse. They are a four-and-a-half-point road favorite in Happy Valley against the Nittany Lions of Penn State. I am taking the home team in this one. I don't know if they win, but I think it's a field goal kind of game, so I'm going to go with Penn State. I picked Michigan. I still don't think Penn State's all that good. I think Michigan wins, covers, no problem. Still doesn't play anybody with a pulse. Yeah, I'm taking Michigan. I, I think the big matchup here for me is the interior of the Penn State defensive line is not particularly great, and I think that Michigan might have the best guard combination in the country. So uh, Michigan in the run game will cover four and a half. Ooh, you guys are making me feel bad about my pick now. That sucks. I've met a lack of you're, confidence. you're either going to win big or fall in a big <laughs> hole there, Doug. <laughs> That's right. All right, we'll go to the SEC Ole Miss Heads between the hedges to take on the Georgia Bulldogs, who are a ten and a half point home favorite. Georgia has not covered a lot of spreads this year. Um, they've won, but they haven't covered very well. But I am going to take them to cover this one because Ole Miss is the same fraud team they are every year. They look good against lesser opponents, and they get smacked around by the good ones. And they're going to get smacked around in Georgia. So I'm going with the Bulldogs. Yeah, being a field goal better than Texas A&M at home does not inspire me when you're going to Athens to play the best, one of the best teams in the country. So. Uh, give me the Bulldogs. I think they roll them. I I did think I did pick Ole Miss to cover. I do not think Ole Miss will win. This is kind of just one of those crazy Lane Kiffin games where he dials something up and makes it interesting. These games go one of two ways: either like he covers emphatically and possibly wins, or he gets blown out. There's no in between. That's true. All right, uh, Tennessee is a one point favorite on the road I, this one the line on this actually surprised me they're actually favored on the road by one at missouri who i would have thought would have been favored in this game because i think missouri is a better football team and i'm picking missouri to win if you're giving me a point at home it's even better missouri jay hop i said tennessee i said tennessee i don't really have a reason i don't know just call it a hunch one of those wild picks yeah i'm taking missouri they've been a really good team at home um and I don't trust Joe Milton all that much. No. All right. Two more games here. We're going to go down to the peninsula, Miami, Florida state uh, rivalry game there in the sunshine state last year, Florida state went to hard rock and won like 42 to zip or something. Um, this year they're at home. They are a 14 point home favorite. A couple of weeks ago, I probably would have picked Miami to keep this one interesting, but after what I've seen from them the last few weeks, uh, no, I'm going with Florida State. They're going to cover the 14. Yeah. Bet the house on Florida State. Bet the house on Florida State. <laughs> yeah. Uh, TVD has the yips, and I don't know what the answer is for them at quarterback. Um, Doug, I'm so excited for this next one. Yeah. I had to put the- <laughs> Here's the thing. I had 10 games. The first 10 were easy. To- I always go 11. I'm looking for an 11th game. I'm searching. I'm searching. And I see, beckoning to me, the – game that has the lowest over under total in history i think it just beat last week's game that had the previous lowest under total in history it is rutgers at iowa 28 and a half is the over under on this one Iowa's a one and a half point favorite 
And I'm picking Iowa to win at home. If this was on the road, I'd probably go the other way. But I think uh, I think Iowa's going to win. It's going to be ugly. The under <laughs> will hit, but Iowa will win. Um, I'm going under, first and foremost, um, for the culture. But beyond that, I actually think Rutgers is the better football team, so I'm going to take Rutgers. I picked Rutgers, too. I mean – Boring game. Don't anybody watch this. Oh, this, this game, game is going to be wonderful. <laughs> it's going to get wrapped up in about 45 minutes. It's going to be a running clock the whole time. Or I, I guess, sorry, it'd have to yeah, be at least 60 minutes. So this game was, was the, was it Minnesota, Iowa or North? What was the, the one last week? Um, There was uh Northwestern, Iowa. They all met men together. Yeah. I mean, every week it's the lowest over under ever and it's just getting lower and I'm, it's sick and it's amazing. <laughs> and it hit it, it. The under hit last time by like more than ten points. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it wasn't even close. <laughs> I I would like, I would be tempted to take under one touchdown accumulatively scored in this game. Like, <laughs> oh, if you if you said over under one and a half touchdowns, offensive, it's under offensive touchdowns. I'm going under all offensive day. touchdowns. Like, yeah, I, it's under. Yeah, I would yeah, probably, they get a special. There'll be there's more likely. I think I saw someone say. There's more likely to be a non-offensive touchdown in this game than an offensive one. <laughs> yeah. Which is probably true. All right. That is all the picks we have. Uh, Hop, if since you're on here, we'll, we'll let you revel in your glory. You are leading. You have, uh, even after your abysmal week last week, you still have a five-game lead over over uh, QB and a 11-game lead over me. So, uh, congratulations! This, so this far. is your week. Doug. This is your week. You're bucking the trend. <laughs> you really are, because you were against us well, on basically every pick this week. So you're either yeah, gonna be I have like, an opportunity to really make up some ground, or basically <laughs> completely fall tank. into the pit of despair. Maybe I should start gambling. <laughs> I think you should. I mean, you're 60 and 53, yeah. so you are at 53 percent against the spread on these picks, really... which is, are games that you're not even choosing, right? You're you're being told the games you have to pick, so 53 percent is not bad in that scenario. Yeah, that's not bad. And especially when you say like, I don't know why I'm picking this one, but I just have a hunch. That makes me feel so good about the thought I put into mine. Well, you threw Rutgers and Iowa out there. I didn't know they were playing. So, yeah, I was like, whatever. I don't care. It's a terrible thing. <laughs> all right. It's great to have you back on the show again, Hop. It's been a while, especially been a while for all three of us to be on together. So that's been fun. Uh, it's obviously going to be a great environment down in Eugene at Austin this weekend. Everyone get down there. Be loud. Um, have a great time. Drive safe and all that. And uh, any any final thoughts from either of you? Um, no, I, uh, I'm just excited to be in Eugene. I know, uh, going to get to hang out with you a little bit, Doug, on Saturday and watch some college football in the cold. Do we know what the weather forecast is? Not going to rain. Hey, as long as it, it's not going to rain. I can handle cold as long Take as it's it. not wet. Yeah, yeah it was pretty I wet think it was like mid fifties, like mid upper fifties. It won't be warm, but it won't be wet. That's not horrible. I can live with that. We'll take no. it. We'll take it. No. All Come right. On. Good drinking uh, weather. Out, good drinking weather. That's right. Check out weather. Hop at scoopduck.com. <laughs> follow him on Twitter at scoopduck, I assume. Um, and you can follow uh, QB at QB11SD on Twitter. Follow me at DouglasTS on Twitter. Follow the show at QB11Show on Twitter. I guess it's called X now. I can't call it X. It's still Twitter to me. Everyone knows what I'm talking it's about. Twitter. Subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Spotify, subscribe on Google, subscribe anywhere you want to subscribe. But please subscribe, like us, comment, 
five stars, all the rest. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back with our post-game thoughts on Saturday night in a short version and then the full-length review of the Ducks game on Monday morning as usual. We'll talk to you all then.